Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join the pastor, Mike Wiggins, with the message, Rise of the Antichrist. All right, well, the last time we were together, um, we looked at John's vision uh, concerning a great cosmic battle that's going to take place um, sometime around the midpoint of the tribulation period. Okay, so we studied this a couple weeks ago um, in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, Michael and his holy angels are going to do battle against Satan and his fallen angels, again, around the midpoint of the tribulation period. And what's going to happen is that Michael and his holy angels are going to win the day. Satan and his evil angels are going to be cast down at that future point. Remember, this is the second fall of Satan in Revelation chapter 12. He's going to be cast down to the earth, and he is going to be in a rage The Bible says that his wrath will be great because his time will be short. And so if you have the ESV Bible, then look at the very last sentence of chapter 12. If you have the NASB or the NIV, they included this in verse 1 of chapter 13. Okay, so the very last sentence, if you have the ESV of chapter 12, it says, and he, that's the dragon, stood on the sand of the sea. And so after being cast down to the earth, I can see Satan standing on the seashore. And he's thinking, I only have 42 months left. 42 months to cause as much havoc as I can cause on the earth. 42 months to steal and kill and destroy as many lives as, I, as possible. 42 months left to try to stop the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ from coming down to my earth, because he really believes this is his earth. And by the way, Adam gave it to him. <laughs> Adam gave the earth to him uh, at the fall. But thank God the second Adam's coming back to take it back from the usurper. And so, how will Satan know that he only has 42 months left? Because he can read the Bible just like anybody else. But in his arrogant and in his twisted heart, even after being cast down by Michael, Satan will still think somehow that he can win, that he can defeat God. And so at this time, Satan's going to pull out all the stops, and he's going to summon his greatest weapon, You say, what's his greatest weapon? Look at verse one. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads with 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. Okay, so after Satan is cast down midpoint of the tribulation by Michael and his angels, He's standing on the seashore. He's looking out toward the sea. And what does he do? He summons his greatest weapon. He summons a beast, a horrible monster with 10 heads. I'm sorry, 10 uh, 10 horns and, and seven heads. Obviously, very symbolic language. Okay, and so... Um, 
one of the best ways, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, to interpret the symbols in Revelation is you got to understand the book of Daniel. Daniel and Revelation go together like two peas in a pod, like peanut butter and jelly, like, like, like Fourth of July and fireworks. You're never gonna understand Revelation unless you first understand the book of Daniel, okay? And so how do we interpret Revelation 13.1? You don't have to turn there, I'll just keep you up to date, but in Daniel 7, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a disturbing dream. He has a vision of four beasts. The first beast that he saw as he's lying down in the middle of the night having this vision, he saw the first beast and it was a lion. Okay, is everybody picturing a lion right now in your head? Don't picture lunch right now, picture the lion. This is called interactive Bible study, okay? So stay with me here. Daniel is picturing a lion. Well, he's having a vision of a lion. That's the first beast. The second beast he, he sees in his, his vision or his dream is a bear. Everybody picture a bear in your mind? And then he's, third beast, he's picturing a leopard. So we have three beasts, but he has a vision of four beasts. Okay, so what is the, four, what is the fourth beast like? Unlike any animal, because Daniel can't compare it to any animal, but this is how he describes it. He says, it was terrifying, that fourth beast, and dreadful, and exceedingly strong. It had great, what kind of teeth? It's important. Great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and it had how many horns? Okay, so 10 horns, just like the beast coming out of the sea in Revelation chapter 13, verse one, that John saw. Okay, so by giving Daniel this vision of the four beasts, what was God doing? God was showing his prophet in advance the great Gentile empires that would oppress his people Israel, the great successive Gentile empires that would, would oppress his people Israel um, in history. So what do those, those four empires look like? Here, here is the definition of Daniel 7, his dream, his disturbing dream. The first beast, that lion, is the Babylonian empire. You remember 605 or so BC, Three subsequent um, um, exiles, the Babylonians, the Nebuchadnezzar, come down to Judah, and they take the Jews captive. They exile them to Babylon. The second beast, that's the bear. That's the Medo-Persian Empire. If you study history, you know the, the Persian Empire defeated the Babylonian Empire. The Jews are now being oppressed by the Persians, even though uh, they allow the Jews to return to their land. You continue to study history, and what happens is that the Greeks defeat the Persians. That's the third beast. That's the leopard. Of course, we know all about Alexander the Great and his four generals. And then the fourth beast, and by the way, the Greek Empire, that's the intertestinal period. That's between Malachi and Matthew. But then you get to the New Testament, and there's your fourth beast with iron teeth, and that, of course, is the Roman Empire. And so from around 605 or 6, uh, 606 BC, all the way from the Babylonian captivity, and by the way, Daniel was about 15 years old, living in Babylon, 
when the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar came down and took him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember that story, uh, captive. So all the way from 605, 606 BC, all the way you go through history to 70 AD, that's when the Roman Empire destroys Jerusalem, burns down the temple. Ladies and gentlemen, those are the four Gentile great successive empires that oppress Israel. And some people look at the Bible and they try to come up with different interpretations. You know, for example, you know, uh, uh, why isn't, where's China in the Bible? China's not in the Bible. Why? Because China never had anything to do with Israel. The Bible is about Israel. And so that's, these are the Gentile empires, the great world empires that persecuted God's people, the people of Israel. All right, and so the, um, God showed all this to Daniel in advance. Here's a, a quick little side note. One-fourth of your Bible is prophetic. If you add up all the verses, that's 26.8%. 26.8% of this Bible is prophecies. And by the way, did you know that the Bible is the only religious book that has fulfilled prophecies? Hundreds of them. Statements made about the future and then those statements coming to pass in literal history. It's the only religious, that, that's one of the many ways we know that this is God's word and all the other religious books are not God's word. You say, that sounds so exclusive, because it is. That sounds so narrow-minded. Well, the Bible is the only authentic word of God. It's the only inspired book on the planet. You show me any other book that has fulfilled prophecy, and I'll change my position. This is the only one. You say, well, what about Nostradamus? Give me a break. How vague were those prophecies of Nostradamus? Ladies and gentlemen, this has detailed, specific prophecies that were literally fulfilled, every detail in history. 26.8%. I don't understand why churches these days skip over the prophecies. To me, it strengthens our faith. And so God showed all this to to Daniel in advance. Daniel was fascinated, by the way, by that fourth beast with iron teeth. So he asked for more information about it. And so this is what he was told in Daniel 7, verse 23. By the way, this is very important when you're trying to interpret Revelation 13:1. This is why I'm going so deep, because we want to get the right view of Revelation 13:1. All right, so as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth what? Kingdom on the earth and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. So the fourth beast represented a fourth kingdom. It's gonna devour the whole world with its iron teeth. Iron is the metal that represents the Roman Empire. When you look at Daniel 2, you look at the great image of Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar had. Uh, it's no doubt iron represents the Roman Empire, so the fourth beast is the Roman Empire. Now, concerning the 10 horns of the fourth beast, we're in Daniel 7, 23. We're just going to the very next verse. Look at, look at what it says about the 10 horns. As for the 10 horns, out of this kingdom, that's the Roman Empire, how many kings? 10 kings shall arise, and then 
title of the message, The Coming Ant- or The Rise of the Antichrist, and another, after the ten kings form, another shall arise. And so when you look at history, ladies and gentlemen, if you're with me, just say amen here, because you gotta get this right here. When you look at history, that has not happened yet. Now, how many prophecies in the Bible will be fulfilled? All of them. Guess what? That will be fulfilled in the future. And so, somehow, some way, the Roman Empire will come back to life and it will be made up of a 10-nation federation. Some people say, that's impossible. The Roman Empire has been dead for centuries. True, but it's gonna come back to life in the last days. Now, let me, um, this is not in your notes or on the screen or anything, but let me give you an author that's really solid Everything he writes about end times is just really good. His name is John Walvoord. I'm gonna spell that last name for you, W-A-L-V-O-O-R-D. He is with the Lord since 2002. And so this is what he has to say, and I quote, a normal literal interpretation of the prophecies lead to the concept that there is yet coming a future 10-nation confederacy within the bounds of the ancient Roman Empire. The speculation to which 10 nations, let me stop right there because, you know, um, evangelicals have kind of been embarrassed in the past because we're always trying to figure out who these 10 nations are. And as time continues to go on, you know, um, um, for example, the European Union came to 10 nations and everybody's freaking out and then it continued to grow to more nations. Okay, so it's, it's best not even to try to figure it out By the way, how many of you guys know that we're not looking for an antichrist, we're looking for Jesus Christ, right? But nonetheless, the speculation as to which 10 nations this will be, of course, is not answered in the scriptures. Suffice it to say that there were more than 10 kingdoms within the ancient Roman Empire, and this revival of the Roman Empire may well include Rome itself, now I want you to imagine a map, Rome itself, and the representative countries in Northern Africa, Western Asia, and Southern Europe. And so Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter seven pointed to a 10-nation federation, and John's vision in verse one points to the same. Look at verse one again. And I saw a beast, okay, we know that that beast now from Daniel is a revived Roman Empire, Rising out of the sea, the word sea in the scriptures often refers to the Gentile nations, and so I believe this guy's gonna be a Gentile. So I saw a beast rising out of the sea with how many horns? There it is again, 10 horns and seven heads with, note this, 10 diadems or crowns on its horns and blasphemous names on its head, okay? And so the 10 diadems or the 10 crowns represent 10 kings, why? What do kings wear on their head? (laughs) Okay, so this is 10 kings. What do kings rule over? Kingdoms. 10 horns is 10 future kingdoms. More support, right from Revelation 13, one, that a 10 nation federation will make up the final form of Gentile government upon the earth. And so the beast that John saw is, or will be, a revived Roman Empire made up of 10 
nations that are gonna unite together, but is that all the beast represents? John MacArthur wisely says this, the beast must represent a kingdom because of the complex description of him in the latter half of verse one, yet the beast must also represent a what? A person, a person, since he is always described with personal pronouns. And so the beast, when it talks about the beast in Daniel, when it talks about the beast in Revelation, it's both a what and a who. It's both a regime and a ruler, okay? So what exactly does the beast represent? If you're taking notes, here it is, the coming global dictator who will rule over a revived Roman Empire. Is this making sense to you guys? And so in the future, we don't know when, but in the future, and by the way, he may be alive today. He may be a little kid running around somewhere. I hope it's not your kid. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but in the future, <laughs> sometimes I have to laugh at my own jokes. Man. Just go home and pull the hair back. See if you see a 666. No, I'm kidding. So in the future, in the future, an intelligent, an influential, a political powerhouse is going to rise on the world scene. He's going to mesmerize millions of people. According to Daniel 7, verse 24, this guy is going to rise up, listen to this, after, please say after, after the ten nations of the revived Roman Empire unite. It's after. Daniel 7, 24. He's going to rise up after those ten nations unite, and he's going to eventually rule over the entire world. You say, where do you get that? Look at verse 7. Jump down real quick to verse 7. The second half of verse 7. And authority was given it, that's the Antichrist, over how many tribes? And people and language and nation. And so initially he rules over a 10-nation federation, but eventually he rules over the entire world. Wow. Now you say, how many, you know, how in the world can so many people be duped by this one man? Well, it's not hard to imagine. It's the same way so many people were duped by Hitler from 1933 to 1945. Have you ever seen one of those documentaries on the Third Reich? You ever see him up there ranting and raving and the big flags with a swastika and, and the thousands of people in the crowd? How in the world, why? Why did so many people follow Adolf Hitler? It's because he was a figure in history who was larger than life that promised to bring Germany back from a place of humiliation after World War I to a place of world prominence and prosperity. And what was the response of millions of people? Zeke Heil, hail to victory. You watch those old newsreels and you see it's like weird, wild-eyed people, and they're all shouting and putting their hand up, and he's ranting and raving about the glory of, of Germany. It's scary. Now, imagine that type of mass hysteria sweeping over the entire world, and you'll begin to get an idea about how this guy is going to sway all of humanity. Look at verse 2. And the beast that I saw... 
Okay, so this is the revived Roman Empire ruled by the Antichrist. So we've already sustained that. The beast that I saw was like a leopard. That sounds familiar. And his feet were like a bear. That sounds familiar. And his mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon. Okay, who's the dragon from chapter 12? Anybody remember? Satan, good job. And so Satan gave his power and his throne and great authority to this beast or the Antichrist. Okay, so this also correlates with Daniel 7. So let's look at it again from Daniel chapter 7. You remember Daniel is, uh, has this disturbing dream about the successive Gentile empires that are going to oppress Israel. So the first beast he sees when he's looking into the future is a lion Babylonian Empire. The second beast in Daniel's uh, dream is a bear. That's later in history, the Persian Empire. Then he sees a leopard. Later in history, the Greek Empire. Okay, and so Daniel, who was part of the Babylonian exile, he's looking forward into the future. He sees a lion, a bear, and a leopard. But now you go to AD 95, and here's John on the island of Patmos. Actually, he's been taken up into heaven. And what he's, he's given a vision, and he sees it because he's looking to the past in reverse order. He sees a leopard, a bear, and a lion there in verse 2. So what does John's description of the revived Roman Empire mean in verse two. It means that that future final form of Gentile government coming to a theater near you on this planet will be swift as a leopard, just like the Greek Empire. It's gonna be strong as a bear, just like the Medo-Persian Empire. It's gonna be ferocious as a lion, just like the Babylonian Empire. It means that the Antichrist, this coming global leader, that his government machine that's gonna rule over the entire world will have the same characteristics of those Gentile empires that oppressed Israel. And what you gotta understand, ladies and gentlemen, is that just like Babylon, just like the Persians, just like the Greeks, just like the Romans oppressed, hated, killed Jews. So this revived Roman Empire, this future government is going to hate and kill the Jews. Now, how does he become so swift and so strong and so ferocious? Look at the second half of verse two. Here's how. <clears throat> and to it, to this future government, the dragon... Satan gave his power and his throne and his great authority. The way that this future government becomes so powerful on the earth is because Satan is empowering it. All right, let's move on to verse three now. Okay, if one of its heads, okay, by the way, in verse one, how many heads does this beast have? Seven. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Okay, so in verse one, John said the beast has seven heads, and now in verse three, he says that one of those seven heads seemed to suffer a mortal wound, died, but then it came back to life, it was healed. Okay, so you gotta understand um, that scholars, good Sound, conservative, biblical scholars have two views on how to interpret verse three. I think they're both plausible, so I'll include both of those uh, for you this morning. 
What does verse three mean? What is this mortal wound healed? Uh, some people believe it's the Roman Empire that is dead right now, but it will come back to life in the future. And other people say, no, 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 it's, it's the Antichrist himself. It's the global leader. He's gonna die during the tribulation and then he's gonna come back to life. Now, let me go a little bit deeper. Stay with me here. But those who view, those who believe in, in view number one, okay, what, what, what they interpret the seven heads of this beast, they interpret it as the seven successive Gentile empires that oppressed Israel. And so for try to be as clear as I can be, I'll put those up on the screen for you, the seven successive empires. Okay, Egypt, 15th century BC. We all, we all know Exodus, right? We all know all about Moses and Pharaoh and the years of slavery and how the Jews, the, the children of Israel, the Hebrews were, were delivered out of Egypt. That's the first head of the beast. And then later in history, you get to around 733 BC and you see the Assyrian Empire. That's the dominant uh, world uh, uh, power of that time, 8th century BC. What do they do? They come down, they take the 10 nations, I'm sorry, the 10 tribes of northern Israel captive. Okay, so you read all about that in the Old Testament. Isaiah, other books, 2 Kings. Okay, and then later in history, you get to 605, 606 BC, and now Babylon defeats Assyria, and now you have Nebuchadnezzar, and what are they doing? They're going down, they're oppressing the Jews. They're taking uh, uh, the Jews in Judah captive up into Babylon. You continue to study history, now the Persians defeat the Babylonians. These are successive Gentile empires that oppressed Israel, why? Because the Bible is about Israel. And so now, uh, under Persia, they get to go back to their land, true, uh, but the Persians still oppressed Israel. Then you get to the intertestinal period between Malachi and Matthew, and you got the Greeks, you got Alexander the Great. As I said before, you got the four generals, you got the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. I'm getting in, um, into to, to the latter chapters of Daniel, but, but does, it, does, it, does anybody remember Antiochus Epiphanes? You remember the Maccabees? If you've heard of the Maccabees, raise your hand. You should go back and read that story. Talk about something that'll charge you up. And Antiochus Epiphanes, who was one of the generals under the Seleucid dynasty, he went into the, into the temple and he sacrificed a pig in the temple. And the Maccabees, the family, the Jewish family rose up and they fought. Okay, so the Greeks definitely oppressed Israel. And then New Testament times, you got the Roman Empire ruling over the world. They're oppressing the Jews. And then later in history, in the future, you have a revived Roman Empire. Okay, here, here's the question, church family. Let's see if you've been staying with me here. When you look at the six ancient Roman, uh, when you look at the six ancient Gentile empires, everybody looking at the six, which one died, was mortally wounded, but then will come back to life, will be healed? Which one? The Roman Empire. And so as the Roman Empire in the future comes back to global prominence, the whole world marvels, as it says there in verse three. Now, before I, I go and I explain the second view that a lot of good scholars have, let, let me just um, throw this in there because 
what's happening today, if you Google your theology, um, how many of you guys know don't Google your theology? <laughs> and don't Google your eschatology. It's a total waste of time. And there's all kind of bizarre, weird theories out in Google land, okay? And so don't do that. Uh, come to me, uh, come to one of the pastors, we'll give you some good, solid uh, Bible commentators and scholars that can steer you right when it comes to theology and when it comes to eschatology, okay? And so I've got to make sure everybody understands that it's the Roman Empire that will be revived in the last days, not another empire like the Ottoman Empire. You see, because this is the, the growing fad today, and it's all over the internet, that the beast, the final form of government in the last days is the revived Ottoman Empire, especially when you look at what's been happening with Turkey, because um, the Ottoman Empire is Turkey, and the Muslims. And so what people do, this is the mistake, they interpret the Bible based on current events. It's not right. You, you, don't, you don't interpret the Bible based on current events. The, the last form of Gentile government is a revived Roman Empire. You say, how do you know for sure? Here's a slam dunk, okay? I want you to write somewhere in your notes, Daniel 9, 26. Daniel chapter nine, verse 26. Because in that verse, it says that the people of the prince who is to come, the prince who is to come is the future Antichrist. And so in Daniel chapter nine, verse 26, it says the people of the future Antichrist were the ones who destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Ladies and gentlemen, in AD 70, what nation, what empire destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple? The what? The Roman Empire. So don't be swayed by Google, don't be swayed by what's current, don't look at you know, what's happening in the world with, the, with Islam and the Muslims and begin to change solid Bible interpretation. No, it is a fact that the Roman Empire will be revived in the last days, Daniel chapter nine, verse 26, and a lot of other passages as well. Okay, so we're gonna go back now to the moral wound healed, okay? What is good, solid Bible scholars, uh, how do they interpret verse three? Well, they say, they agree the Roman Empire is gonna be revived in the last days, but they say it's the Antichrist, that he is literally, during the tribulation period, this coming, this coming political powerhouse, that, that he's gonna die, someone's gonna take him out, or somehow he's gonna die, or maybe he's gonna fake his death, and then he's gonna come back to life. And they would say that the false prophet, we're only getting through 10 verses today, we'll cover the rest next week, but that the false prophet, he's the one who's gonna come on the scene and, and he's gonna um, uh, cause the Antichrist, the politician in the future, to be raised back to life, to, to mimic Jesus Christ, and the whole world's gonna marvel and they're gonna worship him. So whether you hold to one or two, I think both views are very plausible, plausible and we'll find out when it happens. Actually, we'll be in heaven, thank God, watching from the clouds. All right, look at verse four. And they, that's the world, during the tribulation, if you're looking at four, verse, just say amen. amen. And they worshiped the dragon, who's the dragon? Satan worship, tribulation. 
For he had given his authority to the beast, it's the coming Antichrist, and they, the people on earth during the tribulation, worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? And so what's gonna happen is that during the great tribulation, the last three and a half years of history as we know it, that Satan is gonna be worshiped as the world worships this political leader because they're basically one and the same. Many scholars believe that Satan is actually gonna possess this guy during the great tribulation period. And anybody who dares to get in the way of this government machine, this global government machine, they're gonna be wiped out. Who can stand against him? Look at verse five now. How long will this antichrist rule? Look at verse five. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for how long? There it is, 42 months. That's 1,260 days. You see that also in Revelation? That's three and a half years. That is the time that Jesus said in, I believe it's Matthew 24, 15, he called it the great tribulation period. That's how long this guy's gonna rule. Look at verses six through eight now. It opened its mouth, the Antichrist, to utter blasphemies against God, the God of Israel, the only God. Blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Okay, these are tribulation saints martyred during the tribulation period. You say, how many of them are gonna be killed by this government machine, this last form of Gentile government, this 10-nation federation? How many believers in Jesus? Because how many of you guys know that millions of people are gonna get saved during the tribulation period? We already studied that. From the witness of the 144,000, from the two witnesses, from the angel flying around the earth, millions of people are gonna put their trust in Jesus, thank God, during the tribulation period, but then well, guess what's gonna happen? He's going to kill them. It'll be the systematic annihilation of millions of people. How many? We saw back in chapter seven, verse nine, that it's a number that no one can count. So Holocaust on steroids during the tribulation period. It says in the second half of verse seven, an authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Verse eight, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. All right, now let's regroup. Verse six says the Antichrist is gonna blaspheme God. Where is that gonna take place? Probably wherever he goes. <laughs> but specifically, this coming political leader is gonna blaspheme God in the rebuilt temple. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Some believe that this peace treaty that the Antichrist is gonna sign with Israel and her neighbors that's gonna kick off this last seven years of history as we know it. Some believe, the Bible doesn't say specifically, but some believe that um, Part of that peace treaty is gonna be an allowance for the Jews, the Orthodox Jews, to rebuild their temple, okay? And so the Jews are gonna be so happy, at least the religious Jews, most Jews in Israel are secular, 
but at least the religious Jews are gonna be so happy with this guy, but in the middle of the tribulation period, at the midpoint, the Antichrist is gonna commit that brazen act that Jesus called the abomination of desolation that, this is Jesus talking, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Jesus knew the book of Daniel. Okay, and so look at what Daniel said about the abomination of desolation. Daniel 9, 27. He, that's the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant, that's a peace treaty, with many, that's Israel and her Arab neighbors, for one seven, Shavuot in the Hebrew, that's seven years. This is where we get the tribulation period being seven years long. In the middle of the seven, three and a half years in, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering and at the what? It's gonna be rebuilt on the Temple Mount. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. What in the world is the abomination of desolation? It simply is an idolatrous image of the Antichrist that will be placed in the rebuilt temple. It's his way to try to get back at God. Do you remember what, what Lucifer said back in Isaiah 14 before he fell? I will be like the most high God. I wanna be worshiped. I see all these angels, these countless angels worshiping him. I wanna be worshiped. I wanna be the center of attention. It's all about me. And so what's he gonna do? He's gonna have his greatest weapon set up an image of himself and put it in the actual temple of God. And so at the midpoint of the tribulation period, according to the Apostle Paul, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, this politician is gonna, probably with a military escort, is gonna walk brazenly, boldly into the rebuilt temple, killing anybody who tries to get in. The, and you better believe there'll be religious Jews that are gonna give their lives trying to stop this guy from going in. And then he's going to, this is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. He's going to sit in the temple of God as if he were God. And then he's going to take a statue of himself and he's going to set it up in the Jewish temple. That is the abomination and that will cause desolation or destruction. God's going to say, I've had it up to here 42 months and then the, the seven bowls, destruction of wrath come upon the world. That is because of that statue, the abomination that causes desolation. Is this all, all this making sense to you guys? Now, when he sets that image up, something shocking is gonna happen. We're gonna take a quick sneak peek into next week. Look at chapter 13, verse 15. So look at verse 15. And it was allowed, this is the false prophet, it was allowed to give breath to the image, the statue of the Antichrist, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be, what? Slain. And so the image of the Antichrist during the last 42 months, it's gonna come to life. Somehow, some way, I don't understand all this, but the false prophet, energized by Satan, is gonna give 
the statue's breath, and the whole world's gonna have a choice. You worship the image or you die. And what does it say now back in verse eight? What's gonna happen when the whole world is given that choice? Look at verse eight. And all who dwell on the earth are gonna do what? They're gonna worship it. Now, there are some who will not worship. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. Okay, so those who put their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior during the last seven years, they will refuse and they will be killed for not worshiping this image. Can you guys imagine a politician? Just, just imagine this for a second. This, a politician setting up a statue of himself? And the statue coming to life and speaking? And everybody said, you gotta worship that thing or you're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna behead you if you don't worship it. I told you, the, the tribulation period, especially the last three and a half years, crazy, chaotic, weird, bizarre. But that's, that's what happens. Um, that, that's where sin will take you. All right, and so now let's look at the last two verses as Tanner comes up. It says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. By the way, just a quick side note, because I do believe the rapture is happening before the tribulation. And so I think it's interesting, um, in verse nine, it doesn't say, if anyone has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Remember, remember chapters two and three? Remember the seven letters to the seven churches? We always saw that phrase over and over and over again. And the phrase always said, let he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But then... Chapter four, verse one, John, who represents the church, is snatched up into heaven, and you never see church in chapters six through 19. And here it says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Doesn't say what the Spirit says to the churches. Why? I believe the church is gone. And so speaking to the tribulation saints, verse 10, if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is the call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. And so what this, this right here, verses nine and 10, is written to encourage the tribulation saints, those who are gonna receive Christ as their Messiah and Lord during those last seven years who are still alive. They're gonna be encouraged. Trust in the Lord. The government's hunting you down. You're having to live underground. You can't buy or sell, this is next week, unless you get the mark, refuse the mark. But here, here's some encouragement to you guys. God's in control. Don't have the attitude, my basement is filled with canned goods, I got my shotgun, they're not gonna take me alive. <laughs> some, some Christians have that attitude today. It's like, what? What are you doing? It's not about this life. This life is a vapor, we're gone, it's about the next life. And so, again, tribulation saints don't have that attitude. According to verse 10, if God wants you to be taken captive, to captivity you will go. Put your gun down. If God wants you to be killed by the sword, it says in verse 10, you're gonna be killed by the sword. It's okay, why? It's not about this life. And what is on the other side will blow your mind, and you'll never die there. You'll never die there. And so, 
Um, I know this is a lot, and so I wanna refer a book to you in closing. Don was with us in February. Stacy and I got to have lunch with Don a couple weeks ago in California. And so his book, The Final Antichrist, I think there's 48 questions that are answered in that book. It goes a lot deeper than this 40-minute message could ever go. And so I think we have a few copies in the, in the foyer. Um, but if not, all you have to do is go to educatingourworld.com. That's educatingourworld.com. And you can get, I think Don's written about 500,000 books. But anyway, um, they're all there on his, on his website. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm New Here, then Knowing Christ.